Well, good morning again, everyone. You can go ahead and open in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 25 to 33 this morning. I called this message the Spirit-filled husband. Last week we saw the Spirit-filled wife, and this is kind of part two then. We're looking at the, the husband's role in marriage. And let's go ahead and begin by by reading the text, Ephesians 5, starting in verse 25. It says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her, that He might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word, so that He might present the church to Himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Three times in this text, husbands are commanded to love their wives. In verse 25, it says, Husbands, love your wives. Verse 28, In the same way, husbands should love their wives. And verse 33, However, let each one of you love his wife. Three times in nine verses, we see this command. In this passage, we see God's rule God's design for the husband. This is what God demands. This is what He wants a Christian husbands to do. Husbands, love, love, love your wives. Love your wives as Christ loved the church. And as husbands, Jesus is the model for us. He is our example. He is the standard of the husband's love in marriage. Husbands are to love their wives just as Christ loved the church. Husbands are to love their wives in the same way that Christ loved the church. And these verses actually end up having more to say about Christ and His love for the church than they even do about husbands and how they are to love their wives. There's nine verses here and five and a half of them are about Christ's example whereas three and a half of them speak more directly to the husbands. This passage is addressed to husbands, but the majority of it is focused on Jesus Christ. He is the perfect example of what a Christian husband should be. These are some of the greatest verses in the Bible about Christ's love for us. If we belong to the church, we are the bride of Christ. If we belong to the church, Christ loved us and He gave Himself for us. 
And what this means for us today is that God has something for each and every one of us. Husbands, here is in this passage your duty to your wife. And we'll see what God calls you to and to be. What He calls you to do and to be in your marriage. But if you're not a husband and you will never be a husband, there's still plenty for you in these verses. Because every disciple of Jesus Christ is called first to examine and know the love of Christ for them, and then they're called to follow that example as well. Every disciple of Jesus Christ is called to love others according to Christ's example. And so John 15, verse 12 says this, Jesus is speaking here, He says, this is My commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. And so what our passage today says to husbands, Jesus says it to each and every one of us. Again, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And in Ephesians 5, we see how Jesus loved the church, and therefore, we see how we are to love one another. And if you're here today and you're not a disciple of Jesus Christ, this message is for you as well. Because you will see in this passage the love of Christ for His church. And you can be part of that church if you would turn from your unfulfilling, unsatisfying love for sin and turn to Jesus Christ and follow Him. And so as you hear me talk about the love of Christ for His church, know that you could be part of that love. You could be a recipient of that love if you would but turn to Him and He invites you to do that today. And so look at Jesus with fresh eyes today. See how great His love for sinners is. See how He cares for His people. See what He did to save sinners. And turn to Him. He promises that He will welcome you if you will come to Him. The love of Jesus Christ is the highest love. And so let's look at it this morning. I divided this passage into two sections according to the two commandments that are in this text. And, and really, there's, there's really just one command to, to love your wife as Christ loved the church, but the command is repeated two times. Again, we, we saw that it was repeated three times, but there's kind of two bases for the argument that Paul makes. He says, first, husbands are to, to love based on Christ's love in giving himself for the church. And so there's this, this model of love that husbands are to follow in the, the love of Jesus Christ. And then second, husbands are to love based on Christ's love in that he is one with the church. And so we're to love like Christ according to the two arguments presented here. First, that Christ gave himself for the church. And then second, that Christ is one with the church. Christ's love for us brought us to Him. That's the first part. And then, now that we are joined with Christ, He loves us as He loves Himself. And so if you're taking notes this morning, there's two commandments for husbands in order to reflect the love of Christ. Two commandments for husbands in order to reflect the love of Christ. And the first one is love your wife 
as Christ loved the church. So number one, love your wife as Christ loved the church. And then we'll go number two, love your wife as yourself. So love your wife as Christ loved the church. That's in verses 25 to 27. And then love your wife as yourself in verses 28 to 33. So number one, love your wife as Christ loved the church. Now, love is the greatest Christian virtue. It's the highest calling of our new life in Christ. Faith will become unnecessary when we have sight. Hope will one day be realized, but love will be with us forever. Love fulfills the law. Love is greater than the greatest spiritual gift. Love is the height of moral excellence. If, if you could say, what is the, the highest moral Christian virtue, we would say that that is love. And it's important then for us to know what it means to love. Love is not a feeling. Now, you need to kind of let that sink in because we hear that so often and we're so kind of taught that through our culture, but love is not a feeling. Feelings may be involved, but biblical love is an action. An action that may or may not be accompanied by feelings. The world's love, the the love that we're taught in the world, is more about how somebody makes you feel than it is about doing something for somebody else. The world's love is a self-focused kind of thing. It's a selfish thing. The world thinks of love as something that benefits the person who loves, when in reality, love is meant to benefit the one who is loved. You see, biblically, if I love someone, it is for that person's benefit and, and not about the good feelings that I may get from loving them. And so love is giving yourself to benefit others. And love is sacrificial. Love lays down itself for whoever is loved. Look at with me, let's go to John, first John chapter three and verse sixteen as we just kind of think about what does it mean to love? It's not a feeling, it's a sacrificial thing. Look at first John three sixteen. John says, By this we know love. And so we could ask, well, What is this? How do we know what love is? What is love, John? Well, by this we know love, that He laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Jesus is the model of biblical love. He laid down His life for us. And so love means that I lay down my life for others. Just as Jesus laid down His life for us and, and, and just as we are to lay down our lives for the brethren, so husbands are to lay down their lives for their wives. And so love is sacrificial and love is also unconditional. Love isn't based on anything the other person does or doesn't do. Especially when we think about the love of Jesus Christ. It's not based on what we do or don't do. Love seeks to benefit the other person regardless of whether they deserve it or not. And to see that, let's go to Romans 
chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Romans 5 verse 6 says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so we see here that Christ in His love died for the ungodly. While we were yet sinners, He died for us. We were in rebellion against God. We were hostile to God. But Jesus gave Himself for us. He gave His life to save us. And we did not deserve it. We had no ability to earn His love. And so love is not something deserved. It is given despite Merit. It's, it's given despite what is deserved. And so here's the, the definition of love. Uh, a good definition, I think. It's, it's giving up oneself to seek the highest benefit for another, whether they deserve it or not. That's what it means to love. It's to, to give up oneself to seek the highest benefit for another, whether they deserve it or not. And remember, as we think about love, the, the highest good that we can offer another person is to bring them closer to God. God Himself is the great good for His people. And that's what Jesus' love did for us, didn't it? It brought us to God. Jesus in His love died to bring us to God. Christ gave Himself as a, a sacrifice to bring us to God. And in the way that Christ loved the church, husbands are to love their wives. Let's go back to our passage here and look at verse 25. Again, it says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. Jesus loved the church and gave Himself up for her. But our text says even more. It says that He did this so that in verse 26, that He might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word, so that He might present the church to Himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. And so Jesus lived and died for us with the purpose of sanctifying us. That means He died to set us apart to God. He, he died to consecrate us to God's service. He died to make us useful instruments in God's hands. That's the sense of the word sanctify there, that He's, he's cleansing us and, and setting us apart so that we can be useful to God. In the Old Testament, the, anything used in the temple worship of God had to be consecrated. It had to be sanctified to make it fit for that service. There was a, a separation that made the common sacred. And that separation often involved or required the shedding of blood. And we have been made holy then through the blood of Christ so that we can be used to bring worship, praise, and glory to God. Christ also, it says in our text there, that He cleansed 
the church. Our, our sins have been washed away. The picture of, of cleansing is, is a, a washing of water with the word. This, this cleansing is a, a washing of water with the word. And in, in that day, when a, a bride would get married, they would have a, what they called a bridal bath. And this, before this, this marriage ceremony, the, the, the bride would take a bath and then she would be presented to her husband on the wedding day. And in a beautiful picture of that, Christ has set us apart and cleansed us to present us to Himself as a glorious bride. Now the water and the washing in our text most likely illustrates the work of the Holy Spirit. Look at Titus chapter 3 with me. Turn over to Titus chapter 3 and verse 5. We see some of this same kind of washing and, and watery language there. It says there, Titus 3.5, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. And so there's a washing of regeneration and a renewal of the Holy Spirit. The, the Spirit is, is then poured out on us through Jesus Christ. And so when we are born again, there's this washing that happens, there's this renewal that happens by the Spirit of God, and we receive this Spirit. The Spirit is poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. In 1 Corinthians 6.11, Paul uses washing language there to refer to salvation. It says this, quote, And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And so Jesus, He washed us and He sanctified us, and He did that through or, or with the Word of God. Let's go back to our text again in Ephesians chapter 5. Verse 26, that He might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word, so that He might present the church to Himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. And so in His love for us, Christ not only cleansed us from sin, but He worked to present us to Himself in splendor. See, the, the church is lovely because Christ made us lovely. In Christ, our spots, our wrinkles, or any such thing are removed, and He makes us holy and without blemish. In Christ, we become a wonderful love gift from the Father to the Son. And in fact, if you go back to Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4, we see that when, when God chose us before the foundation of the world, He did so in order to make us holy and blameless. Same words as we have in our text. So look at Ephesians 1 and verse 4. Even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him in love. And so God chose us to make us holy and blameless, and Christ gave Himself to accomplish it in our lives. And because Christ, because of Christ, God treats us as though we are holy. 
He views us and he views Christ. He, sorry, he views us as he views Christ because we are one with Christ. So when God looks at us, he doesn't see our, our sin. He sees the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's part of our salvation. God sees us as though we were holy and blameless and he treats us as though we were holy and blameless because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And a day is yet coming when all of our spots and our wrinkles, all of our sins will be entirely removed and we will be actually holy and blameless before God. That day is the day that we will see Christ and be made like Him. There's a day coming in heaven where we will be incapable of sin. There will be no more sin in our lives, no more idols, no more failure, only pure worship of God forever. And this is accomplished because of Christ's love for the church. And so men, you've seen the the love of Christ for His bride. He loved her. He gave Himself up for her. He set her apart to God. He cleansed her with the Word. He washed her with the Holy Spirit. All to present her to Himself. All to present us to Himself. Glorious, beautiful, pure. He loved us in spite of our sins. He bore our sins and absorbed the penalty for our iniquities. He was crushed. He was put to grief. The wrath of God was poured on Him. He was scourged and chastened and despised and cut off and pierced and crucified. He was even killed for the church. And He did all of that for us. And now, men, we are commanded to love our wives like that. And so let me ask you, husbands, what are you willing to put up with for the sake of your wife? You know, you take the full weight of, of your sin on one side of the scale. And you add to that the weight of the sin for everyone who will ever believe on Christ for salvation. Consider the, the cost of Jesus' love. Consider the condescent, the condescension, condescension, the leaving the glories of heaven. Jesus left the glories of heaven and took on human flesh. Consider 30 years of life as a man, the difficulties of his ministry, the, the offense of sin that it would have been to him in this world. Consider the conflict that he faced with the Pharisees and the religious leaders, the, the blasphemies he endured, the mocking he bore, the scourging, the crown of thorns, the weight of the crossbeam as he carried it, the, the pain of the nails in his hands the crushing agony of separation as He took upon Himself the penalty for our sins. That is how Christ loved and we are commanded to love like that. Now we will not bear the, the wrath of God for our wives, but we're called to, to give up our lives for her sake. We're to put her interests above ourselves and seek her highest benefit with all of our might. And husbands, there will be times when she doesn't deserve it. There will be times when she makes it hard to do. There will be times when love feels like it has to bear all things and endure 
all things. There might be times when loving your wife is costly, but if you think about it, loving your wife will never be as costly as what Jesus endured for us. And so husbands, love your wives. Give up your life for them. Christ didn't love the church because she was lovely. Christ loved the church in order to make her lovely. And that's how husbands are to love their wives. Not because they deserve it. Not because they are perfect. But in order to bless them. In order to benefit them. In order to do them good. Now, I, I should say here that, that Paul is talking really about Christ in the church and, and not everything in the illustration has a one-to-one correspondence. You don't bear the penalty for your wife's sin. Although you might have to bear the consequences of her sin from time to time. You can't bear the wrath of God for your wife's sins, but you might have to bear the, your wife's wrath when she sins. I thought, I thought that was kind of funny, I guess. <laughs> um, you know, you, could happen. Christ is the one who sanctifies. He's the one who cleanses. He's the one who washes. He's the one who presents and, and makes us holy and blameless. But the extent to which Christ went is analogous or it's a, an illustration of what husbands should do. But husbands, we are not Christ. You know, you can, you can run your wife a bubble bath, but you can't cleanse her of her sin, right? You can, you can get her some anti-wrinkle cream, right? The, this text says without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. You might want to be careful about that one, but, but you could buy her some anti-wrinkle cream. You could wash the dishes, but you aren't the one who cleanses her with the Holy Spirit and presents her blameless. You can and probably should lead some kind of family devotions, but you aren't the sanctifier. But to love like Christ means that you give your time, your talents, your resources to be the highest benefit to your wife. And again, remember that the highest benefit, the greatest good of love is to bring your wife closer to God. And that means, men, that we need to be students of Scripture to know what will truly benefit our wives. And we need to be students of our wives to know what they really need. And this love is an ongoing love. It's to continue every moment of every day. There's never a time when husbands are not to love their wives. We're to continually, habitually, constantly give our lives in loving service to our wives. Now, there's a, a lot more that we could say about this, but we, we need to move into the second commandment that reflects the love of Christ for the church. The, the first was, love your wife as Christ loved the church. The second commandment for husbands is the same as the first. It's love your wife, but this time it's love your wife as yourself. So number two, love your wife as yourself. Verses 28 to 33. Now, the logic of this section is that husbands should love their wives as their own bodies because in, in the marriage union, husbands and wives become one flesh. And in a similar way, we are part of Christ's body, the church. Christ and the church are so interconnected that when Christ loves the church, He really loves Himself. 
because we are joined to Him. He cares for us because we are His body. And in the same way, husbands should care for their own wives because they recognize that they are joined to their wives. And so look at verse 28 again. It says, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying it that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. And so Paul begins by the repetition of the command to love, but this time he says husbands ought to love their wives or ought to love their own wives. In the same way, husbands should love their own wives. This stresses the the obligation of the husband and the fact that loving your wife is the right thing to do. That's what that word there, should, means, or or ought in the New American Standard. It's the right thing to do, and it's really what we are obligated to do. And so you must, husbands, you must, you should, you, you ought to love your wives, and you ought to do so as you love your own body. Now, a, a number of commentators, as, as they kind of went through this passage, thought that this was kind of, kind of mundane compared to the great love that we saw in verses 25 to 27. You know, we've gone from the love of Christ, which purchased, purchased our redemption, to the love of a man for his own body. And I can see how this kind of raised a few eyebrows over the years as the commentators were kind of puzzled. Why did Paul go from this great love of Christ to the love that a man has for his own body? We might expect Paul to say, or at least love your wife as much as your own body, but, but I, I think Paul's point here is, is actually quite profound. He, he's showing the union between the man and the woman, and between Christ and the church. And this union makes loving a natural thing. Or at least this union should make loving a natural thing. You know, one of the reasons that marriages fail is because we fail to recognize this union and we fail to live out the implications of this. If you are married, you and your spouse are not separate people. You've been united together as one. Now you're, you're still individuals, but you have been fused together and now you're meant to live the rest of your life as one flesh. In marriage, you've co- committed to living together as a holy team, working together towards the same goals. And each of you plays different roles and brings different skills and abilities and talents and ideas and contributions to the team but you are to use them together for the glory of God. And Paul is telling us that marriage is a divinely intended picture of Christ in the church, not only in our divinely given roles, wives submitting and husbands leading, but also in our union as one flesh. Marriage is designed to display not only the love of Christ for the church and our happy submission to Him, but also marriage is intended to to display our union with the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Marriage was ordained by God to represent these aspects of Christ and the church before the church was even revealed. This was God's plan really right from the beginning. But now Paul turns it around the other way and he says, I I want you husbands to live out your one flesh union with your wife as Christ and the church are one. He begins by saying husbands should also love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. I've heard it said that a, a happy wife is a happy life. And I think we can deuce that as a a good and necessary consequence from the second part of verse 28. He who loves his own wife loves himself. We could say that he who loves his own wife loves his own life. Although that kind of has some scary implications, right? That might go too far. But you you really are. When you love your wife, you are loving yourself. You're, You're actually doing yourself a favor because you are one with your wife. Now, Paul's reasoning in verse 29 is is based on a general principle. He's speaking generally here, verse 29, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it, nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Now, the the word flesh in that verse doesn't doesn't have the negative connotation that it often has. It, It's just seems to be used in in anticipation of the quote in verse 31 from Genesis 2.24, the two shall be one flesh. And flesh there just means human flesh, the human body. Nourishing and and cherishing are words from the nursery that speak about the the gentle care that's given to a newborn baby. You know when you get a brand new baby and you you nourish it and cherish it and you take care of it and you watch that the the neck is supported because it's such a, a precious little baby and that that's kind of the the way that men naturally take care of themselves right we we naturally nourish ourselves and cherish ourselves and make sure that we're not not hurting ourselves that's generally speaking how people take care of themselves they they feed themselves they cherish their bodies because if they because if they don't they get hungry and that's exactly what Christ does for his body the church He nourishes and cherishes us because we are members of His body. And this is really, this is super encouraging, at least for me, that we are so intimately connected to Christ. We are joined to Him so closely that for Him to take care of us is really for Him to take care of Himself. Isn't that amazing? When Christ cares for us, He's really caring for Himself because we are joined to Him. And so if we are hurt, He is hurt. If we are nourished, He is nourished. If if we are thriving, He is thriving. And because the church is united to Christ, we share the same purposes and goals with Him. Is His mission to build the church? So is ours. Is He working to conform people to the image of Christ? So do we. Is, is he working that, that his church might be holy and blameless without spot or wrinkle or any such thing? Well, that's our task as well. And what Christ is doing on earth, he is doing in and through us. And that is the, that's the union that we have with him. And this actually really, in, in a sense, takes us almost to a higher plane than what we had in verses 25 to 27. There, Christ loves the church, but He's viewed separately from the church. But here, Christ loves the church in union with us. 
And this is also meant then to work the same way for husbands and wives. Look at verse 31 again. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Every part of the marriage relationship is intended to demonstrate to the world the glory of Christ's union with the church. And so our marriages are intended for more than marriage itself. It's intended to give glory to God. The wife's role is to submit to her husband as the church submits to Christ so the two can serve together as one, just like the church and Christ. The husband's role is to love and lead as a picture of Christ's love for the church. And in everything, the couple is to be one flesh. No longer two individuals, each doing their own individual thing, but two individuals working together as one. And this means that, that we need to communicate well so that we're on the same page and, and know each other and know what each other is doing and trying to do just as Christ has given the church direction in His Word. This means that we, we must be working in unison in our, in our finances and caring for our home and raising the children and in everything that we do. The ultimate expression of that union that exists in every other area is the physical union of the husband and the wife. The one flesh union between a husband and a, and a wife is so intimate and so close that they are one. And so, men, if your wife is hurting, the husband is hurting. If the wife is cherished, the husband is cherished. If the wife is nourished, the husband is nourished. And when a husband loves a wife, in a way he's loving himself because, again, they're no longer two, but one. Now, depending on your translation, verse 32 says, this mystery is profound, or this mystery is great, or this is a great mystery. And I think the, the right way to understand this is that this, it, this mystery is profound. It, it's a, it's a great mystery. The mystery of the marriage union which is a picture of the union of Christ and the church is a, a profound mystery. It's not, it's not that it's a, a difficult thing to understand. It's, it's that it's profound. It's, it's great. It's important. A, a mystery in the New Testament is something that was hidden, but has now been revealed. And so for thousands of years, marriage was a picture of Christ and the church. But this was only revealed after Christ came to set His love on us. And so Paul wants us to know that he is speaking with reference to Christ and the church. And, and the mystery is great. It's, it's the mystery of Christ and the church. And it's a, a great and a wonderful thing. And, and that's the mystery that marriage points to. Nevertheless, in verse 33, he says for the third time, however... Let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Well, men, God sent me here today to, to press this commandment onto your hearts that you ought to love your wives as yourselves. He laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our wives. The leadership that God wants in our homes is the, the leadership, the, the sacrificial leadership 
of a loving husband. And as leaders in our homes, we're called to a high standard. To help you obey this command, I just want to suggest a a couple of things, actually three things. First, men, we need to know and rely on the provision that we have in Christ as we obey this commandment. Christ lives in us by the Holy Spirit. And we can't do this apart from the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Paul talked about the surpassing greatness of Christ's power towards us who believe. The same power that raised Christ from the dead, that raised you to spiritual life, and that power continues to work in you if you are a Christian. You've been created, according to Ephesians 2.10, you've been created in Christ for good works. And if you are a husband, one of those good works is to love your wife like Christ loved the church. Your wife is your first responsibility and ministry. And so let the Spirit fill you with the fullness of Christ. And then as Christ lives through you, you can love your wife as He loves the church. And so first, remember God's power. Remember that He is making you like Christ to do this very thing. Believe God's Word and put it to work in your life. And then second, to help you with this command, let me suggest for a motivation the glory of God. If you want to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow Christ, even in this small thing of loving your wife like Christ loved the church, then you need to look way beyond and above yourself. The power to deny self comes from loving something greater than yourself. And that something can't be your wife because your wife, as wonderful as she is, is not a sufficient motivation for this thing. The the power to love your wife must come from a delight in and a love for God. And knowing that your marriage relationship is intended to reflect the glory of Christ and His love for the church needs to grip your heart until you see loving her means loving Him. Loving your wife means displaying the wonders of your Savior's love. And if you love your wife for Christ's sake, you will find an infinite supply of delight and joy in Him that will sustain you and empower you to love her. Loving your wife is not an end in itself. Rather, it's part of our highest calling of our lives to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And in case anyone needs it, a third motivation It's just simply this, that we are commanded to love our wives. Men, we are commanded to love our wives in this way, and anything less is disobedience, it's rebellion, it's folly, and it's sin. Loving Christ, loving like Christ is the standard, and anything less than that is a transgression of the standard. And so to do this, men... Remember the power of God in your lives. Remember the glory of God. And remember that God has called you to be a loving leader in your homes. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this wonderful thing that You call us to. And yet, we recognize, Lord, even as we come before You now, that that we have failed in this, Lord. Even, Even as last week we looked at the wife's submission... And we recognize that that is a high standard and that we've fallen short of that. So too, we recognize, Lord, that we have failed to love 
our wives as Christ loved the church. But we recognize what a wonderful thing that You have called us to. And Father, we pray by the power of the Spirit You would help us to love our wives. That You would help us to glorify You in our marriages. Because Lord, You have designed our marriages to be a picture of Your love for the church. Even as we think about that, we thank You, Lord. We thank You for Christ and His great love for the church. And what He's done for us to purify us, to make us holy, to make us lovely in His sight. And we pray that that great love would be on display in our marriages by Your grace and by Your power. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.